MNK Talk YA now presents Cress, Part 1 of the Lunar Chronicles by Marissa Mayer. Welcome back to M&K Talk YA. I'm Marissa Snyder. And I'm Katie Bradford. And this is our Young Adult Fiction Podcast. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) And (laughs) sorry, guys, I'm still awkward at this, but um, (laughs) we're into our third book in the Lunar Chronicles. Um, And this isn't a trilogy. It's actually a four book series, a little bit different than some of the popular young adult fiction out there right now. So there's still a lot going on. We're still in the midst of everything. Yes. And this book, Cress, is, we figured out it's based off of Rapunzel. So we were right. And this, honestly, this has been my favorite book so far. I'm going to go out and say that. <laughs> Why? Why do you say that? What's your favorite thing about it? Um, I really like the character of Cress. I think she is so adorable and so charming. And I, I, she's my favorite so far. Ika was my favorite character in the first one, and now she's been surpassed by Cress. I can obviously relate to her because I've like thorn from the beginning for no reason as well. So, oh, that's true. <laughs> I feel a strong connection here. <laughs> and you have blonde hair, so exactly. And it's and I um, was a software developer for a little while, so that's pretty much the oh same. Oh my gosh, that's right. <laughs> and I'm kind of awkward, so really, Cress <laughs> is I, I very much identify with her. It's a book all about you. Okay, so do you so should, want to what? Sorry, go ahead. You, <laughs> no, you start. <laughs> I was just gonna say. So what we've been doing before is talking about where these original fairy tales came from. So we all know the story about Rapunzel, Rapunzel, let down your hair. Um, but kind of going back and digging through what we kind of forgot about the story or the different versions of the story and whatnot. So do you have any initial big things that stood out to you? Yes, I'm very disappointed. <laughs> Very disappointed because, Katie, I looked so hard for a Rapunzel story that took place in Africa (laughs) because Crest takes place in Africa. (laughs) And so far, all of the stories have taken place in the same country of origin of the story. And this is the first one where it just did not work out. Well, I read that um, aliens actually introduced Rapunzel to the world. (laughs) I'm just kidding about that. But <laughs> along with uh, <laughs> nuclear weapons. <laughs> but okay, so this is something I found out though that I thought was really interesting. Um, so you know, in the original story, how it all starts because the this pregnant wife is craving some Rapunzel and sends her husband across the wall to steal some from this neighboring witch's garden, which is always a smart mm-hmm. idea. Um, but I heard that Rapunzel is actually often translated to the word rampion. I read the same thing. Yeah, I thought that was really cool. <laughs> so the I Rampian know, Rangers. The Ragtag Rampian Rangers have a an origin story. That's why she named it the Rampian. Yeah, I liked that too. Um, but the version that I read, um, it wasn't Rampian, it was Parsley. So it was um, like the earliest written version was an Italian rendition by Giambattista Basile. 
Is that is he of African origin by chance? No, (laughs) no. He is from Naples, Italy. But he had a collection of fairy tales in 1654, and this one was called Petrosinella, which means parsley. So in that one, she was craving parsley. But obviously, I like the Rampian much better. Yeah. And also, the story was super weird. So one of the things that always surprises me, again, kind of like we saw the big, we've seen the Big Bad Wolf in multiple stories, and we dug into that a little bit more. But I think there's at least um, Rapunzel and Rumpelstiltskin, and I feel like there's at least another one where people kind of barter for the life of their child in these weird (laughs) situations, the life of their unborn child. And I just, like, is that a thing people used to do? (laughs) It seems like kind of a harsh price, right? Like a, a very steep price. So like a baby in exchange for plants. Yeah. Like I don't. The witch is like, you have to give me your child because you stole part Rampion from my garden. Like, that doesn't seem like a fair trade to me. And the pregnant wife, or whatever, when the husband comes back and goes, like, don't worry, I got you your parsley slash Rampion. By the way, when you give birth to this thing, that lady's going to raise it. Like, was she not like, oh, good, I've got my She's parsley? Like, okay, fine. Yeah. <laughs> if I had to pick between my unborn baby and parsley, and well, you know, pregnant women and their cravings. Well, that was another thing I read that it was like, um, especially back in the day, like a really superstitious thing to deny a woman her craving. Um, oh. So that's why like it was such a big deal for the husband to go, you know, break into this witch's yard and everything because it was like a really superstitious thing that whatever the woman was craving, you know, she really needed and there was a reason for what, it. What did she, what did they think would happen if she didn't get it? You know, that's a great question. They probably thought that a witch would steal your unborn baby or something, but. <laughs> and that happened anyway. <laughs> I read that um, the the woman's like craving for food was kind of a metaphor for a woman's appetite like her which can be translated to your sexual appetite hmm. so and back then like women's sexuality could be considered um a little bit dangerous or you know a little bit odd and so i thought that was kind of interesting where it was like a woman's insatiable appetite could translate to a sexual appetite and there are really negative consequences for having this kind of insatiable appetite which is kind of i mean that's obviously really crappy but i mean it was the 1600s so well i think it's funny because a lot of the morals to the stories we've been reading are kind of directed to children and like following the rules and listening to your parents and fitting in with society and those kinds Mm -hmm. of things but this one seems much more directed to like the problems with parenting and like trying to hold your kids back and yeah and promiscuity yeah right so like there's a whole lot of things about, like, the dangers of female sexuality because, like, Rapunzel has this rendezvous with the prince. They, they have, a, like, an arranged booty call pretty much where he just shows <laughs> up and she, and she lets him in. And then she ends up pregnant with twins in the story. Yeah. Well, I mean, they just say, what do they say? Like, her dress is getting tight around the middle. That's the <laughs> that's how it reveals that she's been seeing someone. <laughs> Right, I know. So it's like... She hasn't been eating bonbons. Or parsley. (laughs) Okay, but I'm still... I still want to go back. What happened to the parents? So then they gave away their baby and they just kept eating parsley from the garden? They moved to Florida. (laughs) Retired early. Empty nesters. (laughs) I don't know what they... I I don't know. I assume that they were sad, but it seemed like they didn't put up... It seemed like they were more afraid of the witch than afraid of losing their daughter. But even... It sounds like the witch was right next door. 
for a while she was just their odd neighbor. So I mean, I guess she moved. She moved eventually to this tower in the woods. But like, wouldn't that be weird to just have your neighbor raising your baby and like and not be able to do anything? Like maybe she's gardening while you're picking up your parsley. She must have kidnapped her and taken her to the, her tower. I think that's what happened. I thought that was, again, when she was getting to a certain age to try and, like, keep her... Locked away from the world. Well, yeah. And then there's that whole... There's the whole thing about, like, locking women away in towers or in addicts. Like, the... Ma- <laughs> addicts. Addicts. Not addicts. Um, like, the mad woman in the attic. Um, yeah, I was doing, like, a lot of research about that kind of theme where, like... You lock away a woman for her own good, like, but it has really, obviously, disastrous mm-hmm. consequences. And the idea of like trying to contain women to kind of save them from themselves, but also prevent society from corrupting them. It's just, it's so wackadoo. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's the word I have to describe it. That's a scientific term, by the way. It, well, yeah, because it reminded me of like, um, well, Jane Eyre with like the Matt Bertha who's like locked in the attic because she's a crazy woman or um like the yellow wallpaper where the woman is kept confined and she slowly loses her Mm -hmm. mind so that was definitely a theme that was like very present i think in this story yeah and i also like (laughs) i thought it was funny because i was googling like (laughs) i was trying to find out the history of like women in towers because that's definitely a trope and so i was just googling locking women in towers i hope you don't get arrested for something and they search your google history (laughs) well i'm also moving right now and so then right after it i bought duct tape (laughs) and i was like oh shit i'm definitely on like some watch list right now but the closest thing i could find to um the history of locking women in towers was um (laughs) uh the tower of london Oh, okay. So Queen Elizabeth was locked in there. She was imprisoned there when she um, was implicated in a rebellion that was trying to overthrow Queen Mary. And wasn't that like way after things like Rapunzel were around? I guess I don't. I'm really bad at history. As well. I wrote it. I wrote it down. I wrote it down because I know sometimes history is not our strong point. 1554, she was imprisoned in the Tower of London. And before that, Anne Boleyn was imprisoned there before she was beheaded. So I don't know. Maybe Maybe it comes from that. Okay. That was probably a pretty big deal. Could you imagine if someone locked Kate Middleton in a tower? No. I I would fly to England with a battling ram and free her. Well, luckily you're prepared because now you know all about women in towers. So you you know the ins and outs of such things. Well, okay. Also, she let this guy... Okay, I have a couple questions about this whole situation. Let's step back. So she's just hanging out in the tower, mm-hmm. and the prince is just wandering through the forest by himself. Some As like, princes do. They have nothing better to do. They didn't have bodyguards, or they didn't... I don't know. I feel like if I was a prince, and I found this beautiful maiden in the woods with a lovely singing voice who let me climb her hair, hypothetically speaking, <laughs> if I was in that situation, I'd go home, I'd get like the Knights of the Round Table or whoever it was at the time and be like let's go free her because they like he did he came back and forth several times but never like never thought to free her well i mean didn't they have some plan there was something i read about like using scarves to weave a ladder or something so she could get out so he'd bring her like one scarf every time he came Mm -hmm. but like there had to be a better better way if you're the prince (laughs) well and you'd think like the first thing she would say to him would not be oh climb up in this tower so we can talk and get to know each other better the first thing you would say would be please fetch some help a witch has me imprisoned in a tower for seven years yeah like that is the absolute first unless you had stockholm syndrome i guess but it didn't sound like she did well like that would be the first thing I just don't get it. And I would never let someone climb up my hair. That sounds incredibly painful. 
I would probably do it if I had, if that was the only way I could be freed. Well, yeah, if I wanted to be free, but if I just wanted to hang out there, I wouldn't let the old witch climb my hair. I don't know. And also, like, why does she just let him up without knowing who she is, knowing who he is? Stranger danger, you know? Exactly. We learned about this in the last episode. It didn't end well for anyone involved. Don't let strangers claim your hair. Oh, man. So then, okay, so then he climbs up, and he, they have this rendezvous, and then in my version, the witch is told by um, a gossip, that's how they describe a woman, a gossip tells her that she's seen Rapunzel with this prince, and so the witch cuts could, off Rapunzel's How could hair. anyone see Rapunzel with the prince if they're in some hidden tower room? I mean, yeah, her parents couldn't find her, so what's this woman doing? Her parents were just trying to get rid of her. They were like, darn it, we got pregnant. We can't afford this kid. Let's go steal some parsley from next door and hope the witch takes her. Because they didn't have adoption back then. (laughs) Oh, gosh. So, yeah. So the witch cuts off Rapunzel's hair and she uses it to, like, lure the prince pretending to be Rapunzel. And he climbs up her hair and that's how she (laughs) – and then she um, tries to kill him. Yeah. So I heard – the only difference was in my story, she found out that the prince was coming because she noticed that – um, Rapunzel's dress was getting tight around the waist. Right. But Sue did the same thing. She cut off the hair, pulled him up, and then like threw him down. Yeah. In my, in my version, she tells him that she's, that Rapunzel is dead or something. Mm-hmm. And he jumps. He commits suicide okay. by jumping off the tower. And then, what did you learn after that? He lands on some thorns. Thorns! And goes blind. Thorn lands on some thorns <laughs> and goes blind. So I'm, I'm seeing, so maybe Thorn wasn't the Huntsman, or at least not purely the Huntsman. Oh, maybe he's a multidimensional character. <laughs> he serves more purposes than one. Yes. But yeah, I did not like that part at all when his eyes got pierced by thorns. It reminded me of this very kind of irrational fear I have. I think it's a very rational fear, but I've been told it's irrational fear. Um, whenever I'm at a party where I'm, I have a drink that has a straw in it, I always walk. I always walk around carrying my drink and then covering the end of the straw with my hands like this. <laughs> I know you can see me; no one else can. And I, I always walk around like that because I'm really afraid that if it's a crowded space, someone's gonna bump me and I'm gonna fall over, and this stra- and the straw is <laughs> gonna go through my eyeball. I love irrational fears, though. I actually, I have one that I'm gonna get stabbed in the eye with a pencil. So, like, if people, you know, some people like toss pencils when they're nervous. Like, if that's oh, happening yeah. in a room that I'm in, I freak out. Like, it doesn't have to be near me. It doesn't have... I can be wearing my glasses. Like, I... But I still... I'm like, why are you doing that? You could poke me in the eye. It would be terrible. And I actually just learned that my sister has the exact same irrational fear that I do. Because we were both at a party. We were both walking around covering our straws with our hands. And I was like, hey, um, why are you covering your straw? And she was like, because if someone bumped into me, it would go through my eyeball, of course. (laughs) Like... She said it like it was the most normal thing. Like, of course someone would bump into you and the straw would go through your eyeball. That's what would happen. <laughs> yeah, so I didn't like that part because of the eyeball thing. But it was it is funny that his name is Thorn and the character gets his eyes poked out with thorns. Well, the nice thing is in the fairy tale I read when... So he's blind. He thinks she's dead. He's wandering around. Um, and then he hears her voice again, which is what attracted him to the tower in the first place. And when they're reunited, she like cries and he can see. Mm-hmm. Her tears have magical healing powers. As so many women's tears do. <laughs> Actually, I think um, if your mother eats a lot of parsley while you are in the womb, you get magical tears. That's like... Oh, thanks, mom. <laughs> <laughs> That's how it works. 
But yeah, and then she has twins. You mentioned that earlier. I read that part too. And she's just kind of alone in the wilderness also, wandering with two twins by herself. Yeah, that's what gets me too, because the witch is so infuriated when she finds out that she's pregnant and like, you know, comes down on her for having loose morals. But really, like, you just kept a child in a tower for seven years, and then you threw her out to to wander alone and, and give birth to twins by herself. Like, how does that add up? Also, what was the point of even keeping Rapunzel in the first place? Like, it's not your kid. Like, what are you, why do you feel all this responsibility to protect her morality? Like, I feel like the point of having a kid back in those days would have been, like, to work on the farm or something. Slave labor. Yeah. (laughs) Not the point, but I mean, if like, the reason if you didn't have a kid that you maybe want one that wasn't yours. I don't know. But it didn't seem like she loved her. No, I don't think so. Um, But you know what was really actually kind of ironic? So I I saw my cousin's uh, show this weekend. Okay. And she was in Sweeney Todd. And if anyone is still in the Chicago area, you should absolutely go see the show because it's at the Paramount Theater in Aurora and it plays until March 19th and it it on it blew my mind. It was such a good show. I wish I was in town. I know. Oh my gosh, you would have loved it. It was like the set was amazing. The makeup was so incredible. They all looked like Edward Gorg characters and they all had these like sunken eyes and like hollowed in cheeks. But anyway, so she was um she plays Joanna, who is, um, ju- she's Sweeney Todd's daughter, essentially. And this judge has kept her locked away in a tower for her entire life because he wants to, like, shield her from the dangers of society. And I was watching this play and I was like, oh my god, this is, like, essentially a Rapunzel story because she, like, meets this guy who is walking below her tower and he just happens to see her and she sees him and they have this whirlwind romance and, like, he wants to steal her from the tower and rescue her from this like harsh guardian who's really creepy and she also has this really long blonde wig that she wears which is funny because we're an italian family and <laughs> we have no business being blonde but she actually i mean she looks really good in it but yeah it was really crazy to see this show and then think of all the parallels to the rapunzel story because they're all over the place that is crazy well your story about your cousin reminded me of a story i wanted to share about my cousin um but it's not really related to Rapunzel. <laughs> but so the last two, I edited the Scarlet episodes. Those were my first two editing attempts. So I learned a lot and it took a really long time. And I was over hanging out with my cousins today and they're 10 and 12. And I tried to bribe them to learn how to edit and do it for me. And I thought they would fight back, but I just go, hey, do you boys want $5 to for, per episode you edit and they were like yeah awesome they like jump up they're like elbowing each other to like get picked to do it and I was I felt too guilty to take them up on it I was like you guys your time is worth more than that you should always ask more questions before negotiate <laughs> <laughs> I would have loved to see how the pot how the, the episode would turn out if we let how old are they 10 and 12 oh boy <laughs> actually who knows they might surprise us and do a better job than we do I mean, I feel like, especially because I could just get tired of hearing my own voice at some at certain points, you know, I'm like, oh my goodness, why am I talking? And I just like, <laughs> they wouldn't have that problem at least. Although maybe they get tired of hearing my voice. I don't know. <laughs> okay. So what do we want to talk okay, about? No. <laughs> One final question about the Rapunzel story though. Okay. So we got to the part where they're both alone in the woods. They reconnect and they went from being two wandering people in the woods mm-hmm. to Oh, now let's go find his kingdom again and, like, live happily ever after? Yeah. Fairy tales, man. Everything works out. 
Maybe you're right. Maybe this book will have a happy ending, although it seems like everything keeps going wrong. <laughs> or the series. Well, I mean, <laughs> right now... It really feels like one step forward, two steps back, right? Yeah, because Cinder thinks Wolf is dead. Or Cinder thinks that Thorn is dead. Wolf got shot. Um, Scarlet's been kidnapped. Who knows? Yeah, she's on Luna somewhere. Maybe with her great-grandparents. Doubtful, but maybe. <laughs> and Kai is just alone. Oh, yeah, I kind of keep forgetting about him sometimes just because he's not a Rampion Ranger at the moment. Mm-mm. He probably really wishes he was, though. Well, okay, so he thinks now he, like, he thinks Cinder has found Princess Celine, right? Yes. But he doesn't realize Cinder is Princess no. Celine. <laughs> no. Okay. He's So he's, he's getting there. He's getting he's, closer, putting the pieces together slowly. But if he was mad at all the things she didn't tell him before, do you think he's going to freak out when he finds out? No, I think he'll be really relieved, actually, because he just wants to find her. I do like the little details about planning the royal wedding, though, because I'm obsessed with the royal family, essentially, and I hope we get to see... I I don't want to see a royal wedding because I don't want Kai to marry Lavana, but I also kind of want to see a royal wedding. Well, it'd be great if, like, the whole thing happens except the groom doesn't show up. Yeah, that would be great. (laughs) That's not anything anyone has ever said about a wedding before. It's actually the opposite I of what really hope the groom doesn't it. show up. <laughs> I, it would be perfect if everything went according to plan except the groom. You know what would be cool? What? Thorne gets back in the game and takes Kai's place as a decoy and then says something snarky on the altar. That's what I'm rooting for right now. Oh, like they would glamour him to look like Kai? Yeah. I don't know why. This is just, I just want Thorne. I just want Thorne. More Thorne all the time. He's pretty great. And it's kind of funny how I really like how, how Cress is so obsessed with him. Like, she has this really adorable damsel in distress, elaborate fantasy playing out in her mind. And I love that she has been stalking him on the net for years <laughs> and, like, is convinced that she knows exactly who he is and the real thorn. It's so, it's so adorable to watch, but it's also, like, it makes me nervous because she's so cute and I really don't want him to hurt her. Well, it's also funny because part of me thinks... Like, that's all he wants, right? These women to be, like, obsessed Swooning. with him, fawning over him. Yeah. But he's also, like, really discouraging to her. You know, he's trying to, like, talk her out of it. I think because he realizes, he's good enough to realize that he is not really good for her. You know? Cause he yeah, says, I mean, like, he's, like, I think that's actually a positive thing for his character. Yeah, he's I He's not just, like, reveling in it. He's reveling in it a little bit. But well, okay. But you do I'm see him, like, lose some of his bravado. Like, he's definitely in a vo- more vulnerable position now, which is kind of refreshing to see. And I kind of like that he's kind of has to rely on, on Crest to get through the desert. Okay, although now that they're kind of partially through the desert, he's with some new girl at the card table or whatever. Yeah, and I, and that was sad, too, because it was like, I don't know, you see Crest being, like, very innocent and naive, at the beginning, and then little by little, it's sad to see her, like, coming into a, a more realistic awakening of the world. And it's it's sad to, like, watch all of her illusions kind of shatter. Although, okay, so Cress, I feel like, represents what I sort of thought Cinder's social development should have been like to some extent. Because it seems like she's learned all this stuff about how people interact from watching videos or you know on the internet reading things or watching things that are happening eavesdropping on people like that kind of thing Mm -hmm. and I sort of feel like that's how when Cinder was in the um animation tank thing 
they described her like they were just feeding stuff into her brain like it oh. reminds me of a computer program download and yet she didn't st- she didn't seem to start out as i get i mean they're also different like there's a lot of different well i think but. that crest has been so starved for human interaction like at least cinder you know we met her when she's 16 maybe she was like that when she was 13 but she's 16 now and she's had a lot of human interaction whereas Cress just has the 10 year old version of herself that she programs which was really really cute so and she's aware that she's alone whereas cinder probably wasn't made aware of that at the time yeah i agree but how jarring to be to live that long in a satellite by yourself and then be thrown into the middle of the desert and like not even know what trees look like with a blind man yeah and he's asking her to describe things and she's like i don't even know what i'm looking at basically (laughs) it's interesting how I think this story has the most parallels to the original fairy tale. I think Crest does, to Rapunzel. Well, I think the interesting thing is it kind of played out in a shorter time frame. Like, the story part of it was kind of like this. Well, I mean, I guess it played out a little bit longer. But, you know, sort of she was alone. This prince found her. They're alone in the desert and he's blind. Like, it was kind of just, like, the one scene that, like, really tied really strongly into the, well, you know, and, like, everything else around it. Yeah, but then I was thinking when she tells, um, she tells Thorne this story about how when she was a shell, Sybil came and took her from her parents. And that was so similar to, like, like, Sybil's the witch, right? And she came and took her from her parents and put her up in the satellite, which is a great stand-in for a tower. Um, and then, so Sybil's the witch figure. And then I really liked the part when Thorne comes to rescue uh, Cress and Sybil glamours herself to look like Cress because it's exactly what the witch does in the story. She like uses Rapunzel's hair to like lure the prince into the tower, and that's exactly what Sybil does. And then she throws them down from the tower essentially by, you know, when she causes the satellite to plummet towards Earth. I just thought like the parallels here were really, really great. And well, but again, I think. It's still because what we're 275 pages into the book roughly mm-hmm. and we're hearing at this point like four or five different storylines at the same time versus the Cinderella story kind of played out over a full book and the Scarlet story, the Little Red Riding Hood story also played out over like a longer time frame. And I still think there were so many parallels like I mean Cinder's yeah. family was all like Cinderella's family, the foot thing, um, in uh when scarlet was captured and the they pretended to look like the grandma just like the wolf used to be like that's true pretend to be the grandma. like i just i feel like there's a lot of similarities everywhere and i wonder yeah i wonder what's left like at the second half of crest i wonder if there'll be like i really hope she doesn't have twins let's just say that but oh yeah i think that's what i mean i think by it going a lot faster like i felt like with the other ones i sort of had some expectation of what was to come based on what the fairy tale was whereas this one i sort of feel like the main fairy tale items have already been discussed so it could go a lot of different ways and she's much more i feel like she's a lot more to offer than traditional rapunzel because she's like i feel like you know she's smart she has all this technical skill Mm -hmm. like i like that too she's not she's not just a damsel in distress even though she really fantasizes about that she's very capable and she's a great hacker and she's a shell which scares lavana yeah like the reason lavana's been putting all these shells People, I guess she's also been using them, which, I mean, mm-hmm. we didn't know about before. But as far as everyone else knows, she's been killing these babies, you know, taking them as babies and just putting them somewhere them. else. Yeah. Well, you know what I was thinking, too? So Dr. Erland was talking about how he had a shell daughter and her name mm-hmm. was Crescent Moon. Mm-hmm. Do you think that Cress is his daughter? 
I mean, again, going back to this whole fairy tale, like, I feel like all these connections are there and making sense. And yeah, but my question is, are they going to figure it out? Or are they going to even see each like, will she I feel like she's going to meet up with the group again. But will it be when they're with Dr. Erlen in Africa? Or will they like keep missing? Like, I don't know. I'm kind of curious. If they'll to keep see missing how. each other. Or-, or or even if they're there, but they don't realize that's the, the other one. Yeah. Or, or yeah, I don't know. There's a lot of <laughs> There's a lot of what ifs still going on here. Um, but I did like that we learned a little bit more about Dr. Erland and we learned that he was resp- He was the one who figured out how to take the genetics of a child and integrate them with a wolf's genes to make the, hybrid- the hybrids. Because that kind of – at first I was like, all right, there's this doctor and he has to be here to forward the plot. And I was kind of like not bored with him, but I just didn't see him as a very valuable character. But now he's more interesting to me because – I think what he's doing now is really trying to atone for his past deeds. And I think, I don't know, it made him like a more interesting character to me. And it gives us another view of Lunars in general. Like they're not all evil like Queen Levana and her crew. Right, right. And we also learn through the guard, Jason, who is also mm-hmm. Lunar, his, he became a guard because he had a very weak Lunar gift. And I thought that was fascinating how... So there is really a hierarchy of lunar gifts. Which we tried to untangle last week, but... <laughs> yeah, we didn't struggle get very with. far. <laughs> but I think it's interesting that um, they are valued because they have weak minds because they're easily controlled. And I that was such a sad story when we learn... We see some of the lunars in Africa and the woman is talking to Cinder about how her son killed himself rather than be a guard in Lavana's army and how they retaliated against their family. I mean, it's like... <laughs> The depths of Lavana's evil. It's kind of the opposite of the Thermitage right, or right. whatever because they're really powerful and she kind of relies on loyalty, mm-hmm. maybe fear too, but loyalty more than anything. Whereas the guards, it seems like, are almost kind of back to the idea of like being tools or being, puppets. they're not they're people puppets. to her. They're just pretty yeah. puppets. And I mean, the whole point of a guard in general would be to, you know, protect, put your life before the person you're protecting or whatever is kind of, you know the really heroic way of looking at it but these people aren't doing that on purpose it would be kind of like what happened with cinder in the um cafe where she accidentally know. used that that um woman to block mm-hmm. but except it would be intentional <laughs> yeah exactly we're learning more about the lunar world and it's more complicated than i thought which i, I thought was cool but it is you're right though it's, it is cool how all these things are connected like at the beginning i didn't think dr erland was going to be as i didn't know he was any more than what he already was, if that makes any sense. Like, I thought he was just kind of a guide for Cinder, mm-hmm. not like... Uh, you know what? He's kind of like the fairy godmother. Yeah. I never thought about that before, but he's kind of like the fairy godmother because he gives Cinder the tools that she needs to escape, really. And he's kind of ushering the plot through. Oh, I like that. It is funny, though. So we talked last time, you know, at the end of the last book, we were saying... Every- we kind of had this, we called, you know, the, the uh, Rampion Ranger ragtag team. They were all dependent on each other, but they hadn't necessarily become truly loyal to each other. Like they were all kind of motivated by these things. And while they sort of aligned, they weren't all working together towards the same goal very actively. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's become even more the case right now. You know, like there's been just enough divides and kind of like regrouping of people and like sort of the allies that existed are separate. Like Scarlet's not with Wolf. Thorns not with Cinder. Like we don't really know what Jason's doing. As soon as we, as soon as we start making progress, yeah. everything gets because we know that again. Jason is loyal to a princess mm-hmm. and wanted to be away from Lavana and Sybil and all of yeah, that. Yeah, so you know, I think we can assume that he's on their side. 
but there's still a ton of trust issues going around. And she can pick up on his like emotional, you know, he has these like emotional responses suddenly for. Oh, yeah. You know, I don't know. I hope we learn more about Jason because I don't know. He's. I think there's a backstory there because like he talks about his weak lunar gift, like it's a point of shame. But it's mm-hmm. so interesting that like there's such a little difference between a shell and a guard, but such a big difference too. It's like the opposite of having no gift versus a very weak one. Yeah, means the li- life or death. But the other difference is being able to be controlled because shells can't be controlled, right? Yeah, and they can see through your glamour. I don't think he's a. I don't think it's the not being able to glamour other people that bothers him as much as being so easily manipulated. And that's why I think, I mean, that um, device that Dr. Or it wasn't Dr. Erland. It was Garand, right? Um, Yeah. Who develops that device that could take away a person's lunar gift is so important because it, it, I feel like Cinder wouldn't, they would need to have that device if she was going to rule because you need a way to make everyone equal. Yeah. And to like let people trust that they're making their own decisions. And and especially if you're thinking about anything between humans and lunars down the road, you need yeah. to give humans a way to feel safe. Yeah. And, and also for the lunars too, because don't, doesn't Dr. Erland say that um, if you don't use your lunar gift, you you go insane, essentially? Yeah, and that's what's happening to him. And that's what's happening to him even in the first mm-hmm. in Cinder. So they would need that too because, I mean, it puts them in a double bind. Like, I I have to use my gift or I will go insane. I, I don't want to, but it's part of, you know, it, yeah. it seems like it's really necessary. So I wonder how that's going to come into play. Yeah, yeah. It is nice to see how much the Lunars really do believe in Cinder, and she's like a little bit uncomfortable with all the admiration because she's not used to it, but it made me hopeful that if they do get to Lunar, which they're planning on doing, um, that she will be able to rally them and get them to rebel. And that humans and Lunars can kind of have this uh, cooperation. And coexist really peacefully and like completely blend without any problems. That's a good, that's a good point. Also... So another thing I was just thinking about, just in terms of the writing style, because I think it's hard sometimes with multi-book series to keep it interesting in the middle. Mm-hmm. Some books feel, feel like middle books. And one thing I really like about the way The Lunar Chronicles is written is this idea that each book were introduced to kind of a new set of characters. Mm-hmm. And it does feel like enough is happening. It keeps it fresh. Yeah. Yeah, like I I'm love all, that too. Like part, the other part of me is like, can we just go fight Lavana now? I want to... Let's just take her out. But first I want a royal wedding. (laughs) Maybe we can take her... Maybe we can take her out at the royal wedding. Oh, a royal wedding at a funeral. Okay, I really... Thorne, I don't know how... Thorne needs to save the day. He needs to get his... Let's focus on getting his eyesight back. Maybe he doesn't need it. Mm. (laughs) I mean, he's doing pretty well for himself. He's so cocky. Without it. Yeah, but you can tell... I mean, like, it's also been... um, It's hard for him to admit or to ask for help and... Like, it's an uncomfortable situation mm-hmm. for him to not see. Yeah, and it's so it is so adorable, like, to watch it happen through Cress's eyes, too, because she's just, she just hero worships him, kind of like you do. She <laughs> I told you. She just worships him. And I thought it was so funny, like, whenever they were, like, the satellite was crashing towards Earth and they were falling all over each other, and at one point, like, he lands on top of her and she was like, this was the best moment of my life. And she was dying. <laughs> like, they were literally dying. And it was the best moment of her life. <laughs> okay. Well, also, I don't think Thorne is stupid. Obviously, he knows she's pretty into him. But if he gets his eyesight back, it's going to be all the more obvious. I feel like all she does is stare at him. And then if he looks at her, blush. Like, that's my kind of impression of her at the moment. 
Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> also, like, I, I kind of didn't like when she was taking a bath and he just walked in, even though he's blind. Like, that was kind of... It seemed of, like something out of Little Red Riding Hood. You it know what did, I mean? It did, yeah. And I was like, dude, come on. She, like, yes, you can't see her, but she obviously would be so self-conscious about... Like, she's probably never been naked in front of any man before, and he's just walking in like, hey, hey, girl, what's up? You in the bath? Also... Even if I'm clothed in a room with the door closed, like, please knock before you just walk in on me. I don't care if you're blind. You know, like, not even, I mean, not even, like, uh, you know, my body, naked eye, like, any of that stuff. Just, like, it's a polite thing. If someone is in their own space doing their own thing, you don't just barge in because you feel like it. Exactly. Yeah. So I, I kind of didn't like that, but. I know. Yeah. But part of Thorne's charm is that you don't love everything he does. Exactly. You, you kind of hate him, him a little bit, too, but. It's it, yeah, it's kind of funny because I feel so stupid because he's obviously meant to be that kind of character and I'm just falling for it. <laughs> I'm like 100% on board. Well, with I know it. you're sold. You're, are your t-shirts in production yet? When can I buy one? You know, I'm not sure if I want to share any of them. I'm just going to wear a new one each day. <laughs> just keep layering them. <laughs> exactly. One for every day of the week. Well, it's also interesting, like, speaking of their uh, obsession and it seems interesting how like all of the girls now kind of have their prince right mm-hmm. so like cinder's kind of fixated on kai scarlet obviously is over the moon about wolf and now crest and thorn but i thought it was interesting i was thinking about like how their different romances are kind of coming together and how they're different and it seemed like the little Riding hood story was definitely the most sexually explicit and I think it's interesting that Scarlet's relationship with Wolf is also the most physical and the most, so far, the most, like, carnal, kind of. Because they're the only ones who have, we've seen them, like, make out and, you know, say really, like, lovey-dovey stuff to each other. But Cinder's romance is more like the Cinderella story where she's kind of longing for something that she feels is so far out of her reach, like something that's forbidden. And vice versa. I mean, in the Cinderella story, the prince is searching for her. You know, that it's oh, a lot true. of it's a lot of the separation. Oh, and I didn't even think of that. Whatnot. Yeah, that's a good point. He's looking for her now, just like when he was the prince is looking for the woman who owns the shoe. See, Marissa, they're all a lot like the story. They're all linked. <laughs> Everything's connected. <laughs> it's blowing my mind. But then Cress's romance is like a very um tropey damsel in distress fantasy world, which is kind of which is exactly like Rapunzel. So I think it's just I mean, maybe that's not a super deep statement but it's kind of interesting how like all of their romances are kind of aligning really closely with the fairy tales well i also think it's interesting because in in a lot of traditional fairy tales a lot of times the prince is just kind of this prince charming figure right Mm -hmm. like he comes in and kisses the sleeping beauty or you know like what like does this one thing with her when she's unconscious yeah yeah (laughs) but um in this case even though they're all even though they're all the individual prince charmings, they they are so different. Kai versus Thorn versus Wolf are such yeah, different dimensional different kind of prince princes. figures. Yeah, and I like I like that there are six unique main characters right now. Six, yeah. Well, Anika, who is she going to end up with? She needs she needs a um, well. Now she's a prince ship, charming. so I don't know. Maybe they'll maybe a garage. I don't know a garage. <laughs> Or maybe it'll be like the future of maybe she, you know, now we're getting cyborgs and lunars and whatnot. Maybe there'll be some, because we don't really know that many other androids. Maybe she'll find an android for herself or maybe she'll I find hope so. 
Or maybe she'll find a human and we'll get like a whole new... Oh, like an interracial relationship? Here's hoping, because I... That would be... That would be awesome, actually. Or maybe we'll get to Lunar or Luna and we'll find out that there's something else up there that we don't even know yet. I'm sure there probably is because there's been enough surprises so far. <sighs> All right. Should we wrap it up? Whose turn yep. is it to tell a joke this week? Your turn. Oh, it's me? Yeah. Shite. Okay. Um. Oh, okay. Here's one. I didn't look up Rapunzel-related jokes, but that's okay. I think okay. let's just give up on that. I mean, unless we hear one that's really good. But. Yours was so good, we won't be able to top it. Okay, um, what's Beethoven's favorite fruit? Apples. Banana. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's a good one. I couldn't even think of fruits. The only fruit I could think of was an apple. All right, well, I'm really excited to read the rest of Crest, because this is, this is definitely my favorite book so far, so I can't wait to spend more time with these characters. Mostly Thorn. I mean, Mostly what? Thorn. Yeah. I mean, yeah. We all know okay. why we're really here. <laughs> I'm going to Google them after this, too. No. Um, okay. <laughs> You're going to look at fan art, aren't you? <laughs> Have you already done that? I actually haven't, but now that the idea is planted, who knows? Well, you have a great rest of your night. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, bye, buckworms. Go get a library card. Talk YA is produced and edited by Marissa Snyder and Katie Bradford. Original music composition by Timothy Milkey. Logo design by Marissa Snyder. For updates and extras, visit mnktalkya.com or follow us on Instagram and Facebook. And if you haven't already, please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. We would like to thank James Tobias, Chad Snyder, Meredith Kelfie, and Michael Howard for all of their support. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.